Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brindle, joined by Justin Berg. I know it's signing day. Uh, we'll probably have a signing day podcast uh, a little bit later in the week. I was trying to work on a uh, special Bearcat football guest for our next football podcast, a certain center in the NFL that just got fly a... Fly, Eagles, fly. That just got a, a ring. Um so I'm working on that still, and if I get that, then we'll probably do a, a half podcast with him and a half on uh, on the signing day stuff. So that's coming. I'm still working on it, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. So we're going to do a little basketball version today because of the weird schedule and the way days have fallen. We didn't uh, get one last week, so I wanted to get one up this week um, after the Bearcats just absolutely mauled Central Florida. And the heart of the schedule comes up here over the next three games. As Cincinnati takes on, it's the Texas two-step. Was that you that called it that? No, but it's not that original of a thing, is it? No, but I think it's it's kind of catchy, the Texas two-step, right. as they, they head right. to SMU in Houston uh, Sunday and next Thursday. And then we'll be taking on Wichita State at home the following Sunday. So by far, in terms of conference play, the toughest three-game st- stretch of the year is coming up. Uh, we will have plenty on that as uh, as we get into it today, and obviously uh, probably next week we'll do another one um, with the SMU game in the books. So Justin Berg joins me as always. Justin, what they have done this year at BB&T Arena has been, frankly, amazing. I mean, we were talking about it last night. By early in the second half of every game, the look on the opposing team's bench, and this is just in conference play. This isn't even including, um, you know, the the also-rans that they played in the non-conference. The look on the opposing team's bench in every game has been uh, almost just absolute shell shock, uh, except for Houston. And even then, uh, when their 18-point lead was erased in six minutes, they had that, that kind of look, too. It's It's been incredible to watch what UC has done to their opponents in BB&T arena. Yeah. Shell shocked is a really good word. I hadn't thought of that word, but yeah, you look over, we're sitting right by the bench and you see different things like a coach will have a reaction when Kyle makes a crazy shot or you look at the, the people that are sitting behind the team that traveled with the team and they're just like, why do we even make this trip? I mean, so Bearcats have held five. Well, have, there's been five games where they've held the opponent under 50 points, and I believe that uh, four of those were at BB&T. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah, I don't have. Yeah, the one the yet. one was at at, UC, at at UCF. So they so UCF scores 38 on their home floor, and then 40 last night. Defense was slipping. And yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's they just they wish they didn't make the trip, and that's what it looks like, and they. Just have just taken it to another level. I think, I think one element of the defense. I don't know if we've discussed too much. It's just a little subtle thing, but it's a lot of the same personnel as last year. And I know that the ball pressure with the point guards is different, but there's a lot of key people in the rotation who are a year older. And last year we're in their first year. Like Cumberland and Trayvon and Nasir were in their first year. Kyle Washington was in his first year with the club, eligible. So you get to that second year, you have so much more knowledge and comfortability with the all the different schemes. You don't see as much overhelping and things like that, just little tiny mistakes that 
we had seen the last two years. Like I was just talking to you before we were recording, and you know, the Bearcats move into the top ten in three point percentage. Obviously, UCF with zero last night was a big factor in that. But you remember the last couple of years, all those times when the corner three was wide open, and people were just like, "Why is that three point shooter always open in the corner?" And people were always saying that to me, and I was like, "I don't know." Well. I think now you're not seeing that happen really at all, and teams just aren't finding any looks. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit in a, in a couple past episodes, but the thing that really has impressed me with this team is, one, their ability to keep point guards out of the lane, and, and two, kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with that, is their help-side defense. Um, teams just aren't getting any penetration. There's no... And that's why you're not seeing, and that was the biggest problem um, with that in terms of allowing, you know, rhythm, open three-pointers. The biggest problem was teams getting penetration, getting into the lane, and then kicking out for that step-in rhythm three. Um, we saw Houston, when they went on that crazy run, we saw them get a little bit of it uh, with, with Galen Robinson getting into the lane and Rob Gray getting into the lane. Uh, but they were able to shut that off as that game wore on, and that's you know why they were able to shut down Houston over the final 27, 28 minutes. But just schematically, the way that this unit fits together, uh, they all communicate incredibly well. Um, I mean, if, if you watch them, it's just it's so synchronized and it's so um, precise. And, and I think more credit, obviously the majority of the credit needs to be to the players because they've done a, a fantastic job executing this defense. I think a lot of credit also should go to the coaching staff for the scouting reports that they put out because they've had the opponent's plays and what the opponent is trying to do pretty much on point. And, and when the team's aware of what, you know, what weaknesses the team, the opponent is trying to attack and they're able to take that away and shut it down, you just choke the life out of teams and, the frustration is very real. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. That frustration of we cannot get a clean look, we cannot get anything going offensively, uh, is what one of many things that will stick out in, in my brain long term about this team, you know, when we think back to it. Right. And when I talked to Kyle about a month ago and Kane somewhere around that time as well, I, I asked them both, is it – a challenge that you have to learn these really in-depth scouting reports, a new one every couple of days. And they, they said, no, cause we know that that's a big part of how we win and they know how important it is. They take it seriously. They're, they talk about it. They're watching other teams play and they're, they're really just locked in. I mean, just haven't seen a team this locked in. It seems like a lot of stuff that happened last year, they're learning from it. They just weren't satisfied with what happened last year. And they're, they're just trying to make sure that a lot of that stuff doesn't happen. And yeah, it, it Especially with, when you see a team that's already seen you, like Memphis and UCF, the second time through, and they're still not scoring any more. I mean, Memphis scored the same amount, 48 in both games, and UCF 38 and 40. So no improvement at all, and you've already faced that defense. It's just kind of mind-boggling that some of the numbers are putting up on that end. Now, on the other end, on offense, they're, they're slowly creeping up in that efficiency on the, on the actual number line of it. that The ranking is still in the 50s. I, I sent out a tweet today. They're a bucket away from being 35th, and they're two buckets away from being 20th. So yesterday, I haven't talked about this stat much, Chad, but in the first half, they shoot way more threes than free throws. Only one offensive free throw. 
and they shoot 32% and only get 33 points. In the second half, they shoot more free throws than threes, and they score 44 points. So where would you assess the uh, offensive execution and efficiency at this point? I've been pleased with it. I like what I've seen. Um, I like that I think they're, they're, the roles are starting to be a little bit more defined. Guys are starting to get comfortable with what they're being asked to do. Um, you know, the hard part is I, shooting's going to go hot and cold. But this is by far the best shooting team in terms of threes in the McCronin era. Uh, they're up, what, 37 point something percent. I, I haven't seen it updated since last night uh, or adding in last night. But just under 37. Yeah. UCF packs it in really tight, and, and they're, they're daring you to stretch that defense out. You know, each game is going to be different. Each challenge is going to be different in terms of, of what you can do and what you can't do and what they're trying to take away. And, and at times you have to take what they can give you. I think that's where this team is different is they can take what you give them and be effective with it. And they were taking away the three, you know, trying to take away the three-point shot last night. Um, yeah, they probably shot a little bit more than I would like. Um, 10 of 32, only 31.3%. But they were able to make enough to stretch that defense out a little bit and allow them to start playing downhill more in the second half. So, um, what was the – the first half they took 20. Seven of 20 in the first half. And, and that was enough to get that defense stretched out just a little bit to change the tide in the second half to where they only needed to take 12 in the second half. Obviously, that was also a result of, of – a 20-point lead that continued to grow. You know, you don't have to settle. Um, and they were able to work it inside to Gary a little bit more, you know, especially that that stretch at the beginning of the second half uh, where he had 10 points and it felt like four trips. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that that's the concern. That it, it, it's been a concern a long time for a long time for UC with sometimes settling. They haven't, they've shot more threes than – I'm sorry, more free throws than threes this year overall which obviously you know i love that but at this point they rank second in the country in offensive rebounding percentage they are getting over 39 percent of their misses and just just to just to relate that stat to uh last year put that in context the national champion north carolina tar heels were number one in offensive rebounding percentage last year so uc is number two this year they're not getting quite as many as they did but it's still if if you have a night where you're not shooting it, you can you don't want to always rely on that, but it is a, a, definitely a strength of the team. And like you said, they just uh, you know they're they're going to go hot and cold with the shooting, but they're shooting a better percentage overall. They move the ball. I mean, really, you look at that first half; they did get quite a few good looks. They just didn't go down. Yeah. So it's it's they they they're they're moving the ball. Um, they don't their offense isn't set up to run. A lot of different sets and things that get you easy baskets right at the rim, or, or you know, the, it more it more creates opportunities. Some open shots, and then sometimes get the ball to a position to a player in a position where he can you know make a strong move. So that's that would be a concern. Just that there's not really like a lot of plays that can just dial up and be like, oh, we got to lay up easily. But you know, they they just they grind it out and they find ways. Yeah, and, you know, that I think that's, like I said, I think that for me the big difference is if you if you make them do one thing, they can do it. If, if you're going to put
push out on the perimeter and, and try to take away Jacob. You know, Jacob had a hot streak, and, and obviously Central Florida had a, a big focus on him. He only took five shots. He only scored three points, and they still win by 37 points. That's I, Think back to, you know, like if, if a team held SK to three points in his junior or senior year, they might win, but it was 52 to 50. And this, right. you know, this is still a really good Central Florida defense. They put 77 points on and held them to 40. And it's just that versatility. Take Jacob away, that's fine. You know, teams have taken tried to take Gary away for a month. He still, you know, manages to get his 12, 13, 14 points. But, you know, he becomes a focus. And then, some, you know, Kyle all of a sudden has started to get going. And now teams, I think Kyle, that's, you know... That's a huge jump right now because everybody is so intent on stopping Gary. Guess what? Kyle's going to kill yeah, you. What, what, are you. what are you doing now with Kyle? So when, when opposing coaches are coming up with that scouting report, the question becomes, okay, if we put all our chips on stopping Gary Clark, we're opening up Kyle Washington for a 20-point night. Now, maybe that's yeah. six of one, half dozen of the other, but trying to figure out how to stop both of them at the same time and then allowing Jacob Evans and Jaron Cumberland and Kane Broom to get going, that's just a lot. And it's what we've talked about having the the advantage of having five guys on the floor that can score. Um, four guys, you know, more realistically when Jennifer's in the game, five guys when Kane Broom is in the game. But even at four – you know you're dealing with a lot of issues. You know, let's take a yeah. let, let's take a look down I-75. Not having options is is doing a number on the team in Lexington. Right, it's it, true. You're getting a firsthand glimpse of what it looks like when you don't have multiple ways to beat a defense. You know, there they if Kevin Knox isn't scoring a bunch of points. It's Shea Alexander getting to the rim, and if teams can sag off of him and take that away, they don't have a, a whole lot of ways to score. Cincinnati right now has a whole lot of ways to score, and uh, that has been you know, the noticeable difference in terms of this team on offense. And <clears throat> with the games that are coming up, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that efficiency go up maybe even a little bit more because – you're looking at teams that want to play with a little bit more tempo that maybe can allow you to get into a little bit of rhythm, even though I know, you know, on the road they haven't been as good. Uh, but I think this year they've been quite a bit better. Like we, maybe there's still been some issues at the start and, and the Temple game wasn't great. But I, I don't hear a lot of people lamenting the huge gap between performance offensively, uh, home and road so far this season. Yeah, and you mentioned Kyle – is really taking it to another level. And if you give him single coverage, I mean, he's just going to punish you with that left-hander in the, in the post. And he's, he's confident on the three point shot. So yeah, it, it, I, I guess it comes down to if you're a stats person or a personnel person, because you look at the stats and their offensive efficiency, you say, okay, well they're in the fifties and it's just a tick below last year. Really. It's, it's less than a bucket below where they were last year. And last year was the highest efficiency they've had. So they're they're almost right there. The only difference to me is just they've turned the ball over a little bit more this year. Yeah. That's really the thing. But the, the, the Troy Copain factor because Troy exactly. didn't turn the ball over. Yeah. 
but I think you, if you if you're a personnel person, you say, "Geez, man!" Like you just listed everybody, and you say, "Down the stretch, you got a guy like Jacob Evans. He's got the ball in his hand. You, you feel pretty confident, and he he can he just brings so much versatility to the the person having the ball in their hand at the end of the game. Not to put anyone else down in the past, but this is six six NBA player with the ball. Right. I mean, that's you know, and then you have and when you have Gary as your as your second closer. If they're if they're uh, if he has some room to operate, it's just I would say I would lean towards the personnel being the thing that I would look at because at the end of the day, no matter what your numbers say, you're going to run into a situation where there's five minutes to go in a close game against a good team, and they're going to have guys that can put the ball in the basket, and you need to have guys who can put the ball in the basket, like Mick says, answers, and I think they're there this year. Yeah, I do too. I, I fully agree with that. Now, speaking of Jacob Evans in the NBA. <laughs> I reported a couple weeks back that a friend of mine that was a scout for the Golden State Warriors uh, was was at the game getting a look at Jacob Evans. Apparently that um, viewing went so well that he sent the GM. Bob Myers was there last night. It wasn't a, uh, you know, maybe if you're a UC fan, it was a, a good thing that he only had three points, but... He had six rebounds, he had four assists, he didn't turn the ball over, he had a block and a steal. Um, in terms of you know what they look for, they look for guys that are complete players. And uh, I think he fits that mold. And, exactly. You know, that you got uneasy real quick when I told you that at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But, I, I mean, I'd love – to see Jacob get drafted by the Golden State Warriors. I mean, I don't think anybody would have a problem with that unless you want to see him in the Bearcats uniform again next year. But if he gets to the point where they're going to take him, I think it's partially going to be because he helps lead the team on a nice long run in the tournament. But, yeah, I, he also – Myers also could have got a nice glimpse of, of Mr. Clark. I mean, he had that 10-point yeah. barrage, and, and he, he made a play in the first half where he the ball got loose on the floor. He dove – First to the floor to get it, kicked it out to Trevor Moore to uh, knock in a three. But uh, not that they're going to draft him, because I think they only have one pick, I believe, and it's late first rounder. But uh, yeah, maybe they want to call him and, and invite him to camp. But yeah, I mean, it's he didn't. It, Jacob didn't put up one of his best offensive outputs last night. But if I don't, I don't think necessarily that's what GMs are looking for they can watch the they film watch all day points, yeah yeah they watch demeanor they watch different things how they interact with teammates and coaches i'm sure and if something doesn't go their way how they handle that i think jerry west has talked about that and so yeah he i i couldn't believe that he was he was actually in the building and that was uh joe daneman that reported that right well yeah joe actually um joe's a good friend of mine and and joe said he was uh it was right before halftime and he had gone back into the press room um, to get some video uploaded and, and start getting things ready for the uh, the Fox 19 News. And a guy tapped him on his shoulder, and Joe's a huge NBA guy. So a guy taps him on his shoulder and says, hey, can you uh, do you know the wireless password? And Joe looked, and he was like, yeah, you're, you're, Bob. He just completely fell apart. He was like, I completely lost it, that the GM for the Golden State Warriors is standing there asking me a question i'm like well did you talk to him for long he's like dude i couldn't couldn't get a sentence out i was i was shocked he <laughs> well, was like that, yeah he's like i kept looking for you to come in and be like help me save me but um 
so that yeah, he he was the first one to notice he was there, and then uh, what what did your what did your friend say? He said he is intriguing or something like that. Yeah, that's what he. That okay. was, he's very intriguing. Right, that's um, what it was. Yeah, and, and to me, that just he's a guy that fits what they do, and and when you look at, at Golden State, um, you know they brought Patrick Patrick McCall in a couple years ago. I don't think he has worked out to what they necessarily, you know, thought the high end of Patrick McCall would be. So I could easily see them going young with that pick and, and going with another guy on the wing that, you know, a three and D, you know, second rotation guy that comes in and spells uh, Clay Thompson or, or, you know, Steph with Jacob be crazy. to play point guard. It would be unbelievable. Yeah, it'd be so crazy to see that. I mean, I, I watch so much NBA. I, mean, I, I would just be all over it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine hearing him being talked about on podcasts and stuff. It'd be, it'd be incredible. But it, obviously, they, you know, they they mean business if they would send their GM. Yeah, so I, mean, I wonder. That's, yeah, that's I, the telltale I wonder, sign. Yeah, I wonder if does he meet with the coaching staff or anybody, or he just shows up and then leaves and just sees what he sees. I, um, I don't know how I'm that works. Sure, I'm sure he talks to some people. Um, you know, to, to get a feel like, you know, I know when the guys that I know in the scouting world come into town, you know, they'll, they'll seek me out and, you know, kind of check on the background of a kid and, and what kind of kid is he like? What's he like to deal with? You know, that type of thing. I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't, I don't know Mr. Myers personally, so he didn't seek me out in that situation. Unfortunately, right. maybe next time, <laughs> Bob, give me a call. I'll help you out. Be glad to, but, um, you know, I'm sure he's got some people in town that he knows that you know they they check on check with and and, and get kind of the rundown on kids that they're looking at. So, um, yeah, I mean that's pretty exciting stuff. But it just it leads me to believe more and more and more. You know what, Berg? Enjoy this season for everything it's worth. Oh, of course. I mean, I already was. Yeah, but Mr. I, it, Mr. Clark. But yeah, I know it's it du- it's double. Like when it, you when you. And then really, it's kind of triple because Kyle. because Kyle is. I mean, he's really become. I mean, you know, I, I watched him last night. The guy had the ball on the post against him. He held his ground. He didn't reach. He didn't go for the fake, and then he blocked the shot. I mean, that was that was. Well, how far has he come defensively? But yeah, I mean, back to Jacob. It's just it. It would be incredible to see that. And yeah, we do need to savor the last. Let's see, what seven regular season and. Three home games. Three. There's three, yeah, three home, home games. games left. It's unbelievable how fast this has gone. And, yeah. and it feels like yeah. – it always feels like it goes fast. But I guess because there hasn't been the angst and there hasn't been, you know, the meltdowns and the the insanity um, that, that comes with, you know, a, what a standard season looks like, this thing feels like it's just zipped by. True. It doesn't and, feel like that long ago that they were playing UCLA and you were out in Westwood. Yeah, you're right. And now we're talking seven games left for the regular season and only three home games left for maybe three phenomenal Bearcats. Whew. It's uh, it's hard to fathom, but it makes you want to just enjoy it a little bit more. Here, here's, a, here's an interesting... Uh, nugget for you as we as we kind of transition into looking ahead sk's senior year and troy copain's senior year this team was 22 and 2 on a 15 game winning streak and headed into moody coliseum insane that is 
I can't even believe that. The team this year is 22-2 and two, on a 15-game <laughs> winning streak and headed into Moody Coliseum. Now, um, the status of Shake Milton obviously will be critical in that scenario. If Shake Milton is not available, I have a hard time seeing any way that SMU is able to beat Cincinnati even at Moody Coliseum. If Shake plays, it becomes a bit of a toss-up, but you have to wonder what exactly is that hand injury? How much is it going to hamper him? Um, there's a lot of rumors floating around uh, around that situation. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not, so I'm not really going to overly talk about him. But there's um, it's a very interesting game because if they go in there and get that one and, and, and you head to Houston with a lot of momentum and, and you have to wonder, and I'm sure we'll get into this next week, how much gas did that take out of Houston's tank mentally in terms of we gave them everything we had and they took it and beat us by double digits? Yeah. That's, that's what's fascinating to me about the Houston game. But SMU, it's never fun going into Moody Coliseum. But I, this team just feels different, man. Maybe I'll be wrong, but they, I just don't feel like – I know SK's senior year, that was um, – I believe that was the first or second game that Moody had been reopened since the renovation. So nobody really knew what to expect, and that place was just an absolute zoo. Yeah, they destroyed UC that night. It was you, you just you kind of knew because it just seemed like I mean UC was just they had really three players and really not much of a bench, and yeah, they just got blitzed in that one. And that's that's kind of the opposite effect for this year for SMU because. Yeah. They're so shorthanded. I mean, they were shorthanded last year, but they were shorthanded with two NBA players and Ben Moore. And yeah. you t- you take those uh, – basically, four of their five starters from last year are not playing in this game on Sunday. And then if Shake Milton doesn't, that's all five. So Yeah, uh, it, that, that, quite frankly, last year SMU was just a better team than Cincinnati. Like, yeah, no, no doubt. Sometimes you just got to man up and admit the obvious, like – Last well, year, SMU was better than Cincinnati. This year, Cincinnati's better than SMU. Go in there and take care of business. Right. And they – so even if even if SMU does play well and they shoot the ball well, I just don't know how they sustain it for 40 minutes against what UC brings to the table. That's what I want to see is, like, who who has enough to get to the end of a game, either ahead or, or even with UC in the last, like, three, four minutes. Houston almost did it. I mean, they obviously – UC spotted them a – 18 point lead but i mean there's it remains to be seen whether wichita can do it that that would be the other candidate i think at this point but i I just don't know how smu does especially since they have the smaller guards and you know if if you uc's really been much better defending the three which is smu's strength this year so if they if they just uh can do a decent job defending three on sunday then i don't know how smu's going to be able to score enough even if uc doesn't you know, light the world on fire offensively. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, you will have the rundown on the ponies uh, coming up a little later in the week. Um, what else you got for today, Berg? You got you got any other stuff you want to talk about as we? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's have it. Yes. Well, so we were just a few minutes back. We were talking about Jacob Evans as potentially. Uh, what, uh, what's his name? I'm losing. Uh, Clay Thompson's backup. How about Jacob Evans' backup? This year, number five, Trevor Moore. Is he kind of emerging as, like, you can count on him for some stuff? Because, I mean, the he, he came up big in the Memphis game. 
And then last night he scores a career-high 14. He shows you the outside shot. He shows you the taking it to the 10 side of his game. I mean, he he is basically – he has a better offensive rating on Ken Palm than three of the five starters. Really? And he and he, and he is – he's averaging more minutes per game than Trayvon Scott, Nasir Brooks, and Keith Williams. I'm not sure anybody saw that coming before, before the season. So the question is – and this is something that I talked with Chuck about about the bench production and, and do they have enough? And I mean, I know he's only a freshman and some of these teams aren't that great, but is he emerging as like, Hey, we might be able to count on six to 10 points from him in most games moving forward. Um, I think we're getting closer. I mean, obviously the next three games will tell us a lot because those are all high level games. Um, what is his confidence level offensively going to look like, you know, when the chips are down? Um, it's, we saw it at Memphis that he's not afraid to take a big shot. Uh, but, you know, the stakes are going to be a little bit higher here. One thing I don't really, you know, worry about with Trevor is confidence. I think if anybody has paid attention, the young man does not have an issue with that whatsoever. Right. Yeah, he's – I mean, obviously taking that shot. But, um, yeah, he he just seems like he's becoming more comfortable – and he's when he gets the ball, he just he's making the right decisions. He's he, if the shot's not there, he'll pump fake. He'll take a dribble or two. If if there's a better shot there, he'll take it. If not, he'll he's not going to force it. And the one that he hit towards the end of the first half yesterday, right in front of us, where he really just got his shoulders squared, and his feet were there. Everything he didn't have a ton of a, that big of a window to get that shot off. But since he was prepared early, like you you talked about. You know, since we ever identified him, but he was ready. He he was able to beat the fact that there wasn't that much space there, and he knocked it in, and swished it. Um, so yeah, he he just seems like you know that's just the type of guy that they they could use because you never know when either Jaron will have a, a game where he can't get one to drop, or maybe somebody gets in some foul trouble and you might need some points from him. So it's good to see that uh, he could be that guy. Yeah, um, he's getting there. I mean, I think that's that's you know that that was the big thing we talked about is having one of those guys get there, and Trevor definitely seems to be on that path. And going forward, that's a very good thing for him. And I think it it hasn't fully um, displayed itself in games yet, but I think Keith is getting a lot more comfortable as well. And I think what you're seeing with Mick is he's starting to, to have a little bit more trust in him and a little bit longer rope, which that's always the key is, is what's the trust level like with the head coach? Does the head coach trust you? And if the head coach trusts you, then you're in much better shape. And, and that is growing. And we saw it with, um, with Ellie as well. Ellie was the first yeah. man off the bench. Which, Man. you know, came in with Kane, and both of us kind of looked and raised our eyebrows like, wow, Ellie's, Ellie's the first guy off the bench. He played 12 minutes. He had three points and four rebounds and, and a very effective four fouls. <laughs> two of which, which th- yeah. two, two of which, th- there was one block shot at the rim. That was not a foul. I'm sorry. Well, there was one where the guy hit the ground, and he, 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 was, he didn't touch him the whole way. And then maybe the guy landed on his foot, kind of like way yeah. out of bounds. That was right in front of us. Those refs were giving some mercy fouls last night to UCF. But yeah, 
Elio is really just he. I mean, he's solid. I mean, you you think like you can put him in a game, especially a big game. I think and and get three or four pretty solid minutes out of him. You're he's incredible on the glass. I mean, he he's just. It's, I mean, let, let's talk about like you know Mick has always said like he's always wanted to try to be ten deep, and so if you if you figure the starters. And then you have Kane and, and and Trayvon and Nasir and 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 Aleel. And then you have Kane and Trevor. I mean, Keith's probably the eleventh man at this point. But I think you feel pretty good with that ten. Yeah, I think you're real comfortable with where you're at right now, and you've got a good mix of offense and and defense coming in and and giving you a little bit of spark, a little bit of offense off the bench with Kane. Um, you know. The, touch on him and the point guard situation. I know everybody loves to talk about that. Um, <laughs> last night you got 14 points and six assists. I'll take that. You know, Justin Jennifer uh, was at the, the post-game media and talked about his thumb feeling a little bit better, um, being a little bit more ready to go. And as that continues, hopefully you see his shot continue to approve, improve. And, uh, you know, you, you feel like you're in a much better situation with him banging down some open shots if defenses are going to sag off of him, um, which I think is what, you know, we've all wanted to see out of him is when you've got that open shot, bang it down, shoot it with confidence and, and hit it. And if he can do that added to, you know, Kane had a, a bad shooting night last night, but I thought he took good shots. He was one for seven, one of five from three, but I, I thought the looks he took were good. They just weren't falling. Yeah, and I was I was looking at his numbers because, as you know, at Sacred Heart, his sophomore year when he had the big scoring year, he turned the ball over more than he dished out assists, and he's he's just below a two to one assist to turnover ratio this year. So he's he's flipped that. He's had some issues. He's only had three games where he didn't have any turnovers, but it doesn't really matter if you look at the fact that a like i said his assist to turnover ratio is about two and then b justin jennifer's assist to turnover ratio is three to one yeah, so I mean, out of that spot the, yeah, thing ahead, you just, the, the thing you just didn't want is to see him have four or five and that's not happening no he's he said he had a couple games in the first like eight games of the season where he had five or more and then now he's usually one sometimes two but but a lot of times it's because he's being aggressive and, and he's just getting used to playing with his teammates he he really hasn't played a ton of minutes this year. He's only had five games where he's a, he's um, logged twenty five or more minutes the whole season out of the you know the twenty four games. So he's not it's not like he's been out there a ton. He's not getting a chance to play thirty thirty five minutes and really just get into a groove. And there's so many other scorers and people that need the ball that he's just going to feel his way into it. But I still like the idea of you just add up what they what they both provide and then that's what you get. I understand that there's a faction that thinks that Kane should start and that Justin should come off the bench and Kane should play 30 minutes and Justin should play 10. Well, that's not going to happen, number one. And Justin's value not only is in setting up the, the guys that need the ball, but his his defense really has a lot of value. And, and he's in the right spots. Like, Kane still is not quite – it's hard to get there. Justin's in his third year in the system. Not that he played a lot of minutes before, but – it, Kane just, you know, sometimes he overhelps or he, you know, gets beat off the dribble or something like that. He's looking for a screen, whatever it is. And there's just those little areas where Justin's going to provide value. And so, you know, I, I just think you, it doesn't necessarily matter. If, if Justin starts the game and we're down 7 nothing or something like that, 
it's not necessarily his fault. I mean, he just sometimes we don't make shots the first we sorry the Bearcats don't make shots the first uh, couple of minutes sometimes, but it's not necessarily all on him. And I just think you know he, he his ball pressure is very key. And then Kane is that change of pace. And if Kane were to start and he didn't have it, then you're bringing in Justin and saying, "Hey, give us an offensive spark." That's just not not quite his role. Yeah. You know, it's just a, a coming into the realization that they are what they are. It's a two-headed kind of monster at the position. And, again, 14 points and six assists, uh, that, that'll work. And I no believe it's the second game in a row where they've had, you know, combined to be right around that 15-point mark. So yeah. that's that's what you want. That's what you're looking for. That's what you have to have. So, um I'm happy with and then, it. I know yeah, some and then, but some people aren't happy with anything. Yeah, and then again, you know, Evans is the guy who's going to have the rock in his hands in the last five minutes, five five to eight minutes anyway. So it doesn't necessarily matter who starts or you know, who comes off the bench as far as that that spot, but because you're J- Jacob's going to have the ball and you're going to be fine down the stretch. Yeah. All right. What else you got? Anything? Well, I think we've covered most of it. I, I mean, the, I, I, we don't really need to – there's no point in getting into the rest of the country and how there's not that many good teams this year as opposed to last year. We can we can get into that when we get closer to the postseason time. Uh, but, your opinion of Rokas Olvidas. Olvidas. <laughs> Olvidas, whatever. Hey, he, had the, he, he schooled Keith Williams on that little step through. That was pretty nice. But his free throws were uh, – they made Ellie look like, you know, Reggie Miller or something. <laughs> Although Ellie did drop, Ellie dropped that first free throw last night, and I thought that he might because he took that little six footer and it popped out. I thought he got a nice. He, you know, I had a feeling he was going to make that free throw when he had a. He's got a little feel for the the basketball, but um, yeah, I mean that that there's been some weird foreign guys in this league. Like I said, this, this, this league's kind of weird in that regard. But um, when, SM, when you when you when you are automatically ruled out of basically eighty of the top one hundred kids before you can make a phone call, yeah, uh, you have to get a little creative. That's true. That's where the foreign kids come in. Yeah, and then BJ Taylor last night hurts his ankle, and he uh, what late in the first half comes out, but he was zero for five before he came out, so it's not like he was making much of a difference when he was in there. Yeah. I mean, Central Florida had been playing pretty well offensively the last four games, much scoring many more points than they, they usually do, but um, not last night. Yeah, I, I, they were up to like 67 points a game since Taco had been out, and uh, yeah. they got 40. Yeah. yeah. Two more than they got last time. Yeah, all right, well. So, yeah, so I mean, but let's, see if the, let's see if the Bearcats can they're, – they're averaging 56.3 points a game at Moody. So – Will they score that much? And if they do, can they win? You got a point total in mind you think that they need to hit? Not really. It's hard to say because we just, you know, we don't know what the deal with Shake is. If Shake's out, I think that number's pretty low. Yeah, probably right. No Shake, no Jure Foster. I mean, how, how many is Ben Amelagoo going to give you? Yeah, you that's know? true. And, and if he does give you a bunch, what's, you know. I have a hard time believing that that UC is going to let um, the kid from South Florida go off on him. 
True. Jamal Murray, McMurray, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a guy that he's a guy that can make guarded shots. So you're always a little concerned with him because he 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 takes some bad ones. He's pretty erratic, but sometimes he gets it going. I've seen him in some games really heat up, like when they beat Wichita. But I'm gonna have a little uh, interview with Adam Grossbart on Friday. He writes for the Dallas Morning News, so I'll get a little bit more info on SMU and and post it on the site. All right, and we'll have your uh, your preview up probably Saturday, sometime Saturday evening. Um, check out the football board if you're not already. All kinds of good stuff over there on signing day. And the additions of Tavion Thomas, Majai Sanders, and um, Leonard Taylor as Luke Fickle closes out the best recruiting class in UC football history. Ooh. So, yeah, pretty exciting. The best recruiting class in UC football history, Berg. Wow, that includes Brian Kelly. That includes Brian Kelly and Butch Jones, who all recruited pretty well. This class ranks higher. than It's by far the highest ranked class they've ever had, especially in terms of uh, average player rating. Uh, I'll put it to you like this, Berg. I know you're not a big football guy. Over the past four years, they would usually be able to get one, maybe two players in a recruiting cycle with a recruiting ranking of 85 or higher. One to two players. You get 25, right? Right. The one to two players with a ranking of 85 or higher. This year, their average ranking is over 85 for all 20-plus that they got. Damn. So, it's pretty good. The Luke Fickle effect. The Luke Fickle effect is uh, is very much in high gear. So, check that out on the football board. Plenty on the basketball board, as always. Uh, some info on Tavion Jones. Some info on Laquille Hardnett. Uh, a couple guys that they're out on the recruiting trail and, and working on. Uh, Hardnet's got an official visit set. Tavion Jones is uh, working on a date for an official visit once his season ends. So quite a bit going on. It's a very busy time of year. We're gearing towards March Madness. Also in beginning of March will be the start of spring football. Uh, we are busy here at BearcatJournal.com. So. And before we go, uh, Berg, one more time, uh, talk about our sponsor. That would be Snips Media. They've been kind enough to... Sponsor BCJ. If you haven't gone to SNP's website yet, just just take a couple seconds and go over there, sni.ps in your browser. If you tweet, if you use Facebook, if you run a business, whatever the case is, just, just check out what they have. It's free to use. They give you incredible analytics and demographics of the people that follow the stuff that you post. Um, you might be able to make some money also. Like you're going to post a – let's say you, your son takes a picture with uh, – Justin Jennifer, and you want to post it on Twitter, well, you can post it on there, and then you can pick some items that people might want to buy who actually go to the posts, like uh, a basketball hoop or you know, maybe a, a UC flag or something. And if they actually click through and buy it, a portion of that goes into your pocket. So it's pretty cool. They're uh, on the innovative side of the social media world. So, again, that is sni.ps. Go there today. All right. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Snips. And that's going to wrap it up. We'll see you next time. He's Justin Berg, the director of basketball content for BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, the owner of BearcatJournal.com and publisher. I got a lot of titles. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time. It's the VCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.